but do a report card, a light, and a pitcher of water have in common? Seemingly nothing. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you would. Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you, and in the bulletin is the page number so you can find this passage. Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, which means that this particular passage is coming out of everything that's been stated before that, and we'll get to that, but I just want you to see that he has something for us to do as a result of what he's just said. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Just pray for a moment as we open the word. Heavenly Father, would you... Speak to us through this passage today, one I'm sure that is familiar to many. Yet we often see things that we haven't seen before. Perhaps it's brand new to some. I pray that we, because we have been in your presence and because this is your word, that we would hear what you want us to hear and that you would give us the courage to respond in the way that would not only be obedient, but would be God-honoring, would be truly glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me take my three little images here and, uh, and explain them that I see in the passage, and then we'll try and make sense of of my thinking, that's one of the challenges anyway, uh, is for you to figure out what I think is a bright idea. There is a report card. I got an old school report card here. Uh, you, can, you can't really see how well, uh, or you, there's no name up there anyway, but uh, you might want to come up and look at this afterwards and see if you can figure out who this is from. But I, I was able to obtain this old school report card. Not bad grades. Um, of course, I think we're talking about sixth grade there anyway, but uh, the passage says that there's a test. First of all, he says, work out your salvation. That means to carry it out until it's finished. Well, what in the world does that mean? Salvation has a past, a present, and a future understanding. His work of salvation is complete for us on the cross. That's past. 
And we know because he said, it is finished. And then he rose from the dead. What we could not accomplish to purchase us salvation, that sense of salvation is complete. It's in the past. But he's still working on us in the present. And he will completely perfect what he has begun in the future. One of these is positional, that's the past. One of these is progressive, and that's the present. And one of these is future, and that's what's promised. Even the word salvation itself carries this understanding. Not only deliverance from the consequences of sin, but the pollution of sin itself. And we see this in the New Testament uh, just a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He said, I need to wash your feet. Peter said, no, no, you know, well, well, then you have no part of me. Oh, well, then wash all of me. No, that's not necessary. You're clean except for your feet. You see that? He's clean, but his feet were polluted by the world, and so the Lord washed those. That's the progressive process of now. We see it in the Old Testament in Psalm 51, the famous psalm of David's confession after his uh, murdering uh, Uriah and uh, taking Bathsheba when he shouldn't have. He says, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And this, in fact, makes sense of the fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. That is, continue in this process God is working in you with fear and trembling. When it's combined in the New Testament, it means a profound reverence, a respect, even a dread. It's used a couple of other places in 2 Corinthians where Christ is speaking of them coming to salvation. This is what they accepted faith with, this kind of dread. They had recognized themselves as deeply offensive to God in all that they had done. And in that sense, they came and said, you'll really forgive me for that? You see, and, and Paul even uses this in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the slaves towards their masters. Serve them with that kind of respect. This applies to all of us in James chapter 4 where he says to us, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There, there is a sense of an exam and a test. And I think their key to it, well, a context tells us that this is very, very personal. It's individual. First four verses of the passage say, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you, then, then make my joy complete by and you know, being of the same mind and one in spirit and purpose and think of others more important than yourselves. This is specifically applied to you. And we then see it uh, evolve into to Christ's description of his work in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Specifically, he did that. He only could do that, but he actually did it personally, individually. There is a test. There's a report card. And the passage would tell us that we are personally responsible for what we do for him. Now, one of the things that may help us with this so that we don't fall into the trap of trying to earn some kind of merit before God and get good enough that he'll accept us 
think the key is here. In whose presence do you see yourself? Interestingly, in verse 12, Paul makes this comment about, I want you to obey. Now not, not just because I'm there, but even more because I'm not there. You see, these Philippians need to be responding to God's love and provision, care and salvation before him, not before Paul. They shouldn't be doing good things because Paul's come up with a list of things that they should do or expand that. We should be doing what humanly we've created as religions to do the right thing, to earn some kind of merit before God. Instead, you see it as a response to the very one in whose presence you stand. It's God alone. This is serving the one who served you, the proper response of one who could not save themselves, but says, but because you saved me, I want to do the best I can on this report card, this arriving there and saying, Lord, this is what I've done for you as best I could. You see, if you serve in his presence, you pass. And it's important to pass and it's important to serve because he did not save you without a purpose. He purchased your pardon for a purpose. And you individually are meant to discover that. So, there is a report card. We are not going to be measured against another, but we are going to be measured against how we have responded to the one who served us most. Hmm. That's a report card. That was uncomfortable enough. Let's move to another one. There's a light, and the light is very different. There's a shining light. Psalm 119 already tells us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And then here in this passage, he says, you are to be holding out the Word of truth. This is the source of this light, the source of service as we define our humble walk. And, and this is the key. What is the source of what you do as a person who serves others? As a person who humbly walks in the way we're instructed. Again, look at the first four verses. If there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, where do you find what it takes to be different from others. You find it in the one who has redeemed you, who has saved you, who has united him, you with himself, who has given you encouragement by sending his Holy Spirit to dwell within you, if these things are true of you. And these should be very evident in the life of the person who has found these things. And they are to be shining. They are to be very obvious. The passage says, in a crooked and depraved generation. That's the darkness. There is to be no complaining or arguing. That's the standout brightness. Hmm. There are a lot of lights in this room. Not any as bright as these. Isn't that annoying? I was in here yesterday setting all this up and I had to see where it went. Now I'll just annoy the people in the balcony. You know, 
I went up in the balcony to see how this was. I'm like, wow, those things are really, really bright. They're meant to be bright. What's interesting is there's plenty of light in this room, but these stand out, don't they? And purposefully, because you use these in a situation where you need plenty of light, and you're wishing I would turn these things off, aren't you? You know, as if that weren't enough to be standout, like this passage says, Jesus said it himself, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven, right? There are a lot of lights out there, but there are some that are meant to stand out. They must be. Now, as we're talking about service and, and these good deeds that are to be stand out so that people can see, I think there are a couple of tensions that we've got to keep in balance here. We've, uh, we have to be outspoken about why we're doing the things that we're doing, right? If we just are good people that serve other people, who gets the glory? We do. It just looks like we're that much better. And serving the way God has asked us to serve is not simply about my getting to check off my social responsibility, which in fact is rather trendy nowadays. You know, we need to go to Kathmandu and be able to, you know, walk parts, you know, partway up uh, Mount Everest, and we also need to make sure that we've gone somewhere and done something so that I've checked off my social responsibility. Well, this isn't about you checking off your social responsibility. That we need to be sure. Good deeds so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. We need to be outspoken about that. That is true. I also think some of our service can be impeded because somehow it isn't justifiable service or worthy of time and effort if people are not led to the Lord every time we act or do a foray or a project. Jesus said, good deeds. Paul says, God works in you to act according to his good purpose. Not every time we serve someone will they come to know the Lord. Yet, that service is what leads people to the Lord, and it's why we must be doing it more, because it takes so much many times to break through. So we must keep these in tension. There's always a struggle there. Don't hold back because you know, I don't think that's going to lead anybody to the Lord. Do it anyway. But then as you serve, you need to be outspoken about why you're serving so the right person gets the glory. You know, I, I'm in the parking lot at the shop right yesterday, and this guy goes by in a, in a convertible, and he looks up at me and goes, Hey! <laughs> I'm like, Hey, you know what? My hands were full, actually, coming out of the Home Depot before I went into the shop, right? So, hi, you know? I'm like, oh, am I supposed to know that guy? You know, so, because there's lots of you people I'm supposed to know, right? So, so I go and I put my stuff in the truck, and, uh, and the next thing I know, uh, the car comes around, and he parks right in front of my truck, and he goes, hey! And I'm like, oh, hey, I am supposed to know this guy. So, so then I walk up, you know, and I'm going, eh, and he's got glasses on, and he's got a hat, and I'm going, 
who is that? It looks like, no, it's not. <laughs> how you doing? Great, how are you? You're trying to remember who I am, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. You don't know me. <laughs> how about that? He goes, ah, I just like to, you know, make people smile. And the guy was like that. It was incredible, you know? And then he goes, you want to hear a joke? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he tells me a joke, you know? And then, then he's going inside, and people are coming out, and he's like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, oh, great, you know? <laughs> I went in the door, and, and he's right behind me at this point. And, uh, and he comes through the door, and he's obviously like this all the time. And... Uh, so a person, a woman that works at the shop goes, oh, hey, Joe, you back again, you know? I turn around and go, at least I know your name now, you know? <laughs> He's just like that. I have no idea why, except that, you know, he just likes to pay, make people smile. Why does he get to be the standout one? And it was all just about, you know, I, he wanted to lighten up people's life, I guess, or whatever, but why shouldn't I be like that? Okay, maybe I'm not going to stop people and tell them really corny jokes in the parking lot, but, you know, we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be shining lights. If you serve his purpose, others can see it, and they should. My last little crazy idea, and that is, there is picture. There is a pouring out, and the contents of the pitcher are gone. Anybody thirsty? You want a drink? You can have one. I didn't bring any cups, but uh, quick, hurry up. You got to run up here in a hurry, because otherwise pretty soon it's, oh, no, didn't move fast enough. Gone. Paul says, even though I am... Are, you, are some of you really worried about the steps? <laughs> Everything's all wet down here. Somebody asked me if I was going to pour water on this, you know, highly electric light here. Uh, Paul says, even if I am being poured out in my service because of your faith, that's okay. Now, he's making a direct reference here to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 15, the, the libation or the pouring offering. Uh, there are many kinds of offerings in the Old Testament. Uh, and this one is always connected with the burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering was what they brought that was burnt, obviously, on an altar, and it was fully consumed. There were some offerings, or wave offerings, there were some offerings that were given, and, and the priests lived off that. Kind of like you give on every Sunday, and I live off some of that. Um, you know, in a sense, there's, there's that giving so that there's a sharing for those that are in the ministry. But there were some offerings that, no, no, these were all for God. And they were fully consumed, and they created a beautiful aroma. We see Paul use that in another place, too. Your sacrifice of service, which is a wonderful aroma. It was like smelling a barbecue all the time as they offered these things. And apparently, when they added wine and oil to it, it made it that much better. 
and they would pour it all out on there, and it would be fully consumed, and there would be this marvelous aroma. And then Paul uses it metaphorically in the New Testament two times, here in Philippians, to show how completely he is serving them. It doesn't matter. Even if I'm being completely poured out, for your faith, it's worth it. And then the one other time that we see it is in 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 4, and this is at the last chapter of 2 Timothy. This is the last chapter that he wrote. This is just weeks or days before his life is going to be taken. And he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. By the way, he was in a prison under a street in Rome. Uh, they were subterranean uh, cells and uh, there he was confined for this period of time until his life was taken. And if you ever go to Rome, you've got to go see the Mamertine prison. And I'll tell you about it. If you ever want to find out where it is, it's right by the Forum. Nobody ever goes there. It's a slight little offering to see it. It's the most powerful thing you'll see in the city of Rome. There's plenty of good things to see there. But he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all of those who have longed for his appearing. This is something anyone and everyone can do and must do. The key here is the object of your service. Notice verse 17. Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Who are you serving? Not what. Not a cause. But people. And I think that's significant. It may be a cause for the sake of people. But I think this may be one of the things that makes us shine real bright differently than the rest. We're not doing this for a cause. We're doing this for people, for real, live, flesh and blood individuals who need the love of Christ. You see, the picture and its contents, the contents are gone. There is a pouring out. And if you serve him on purpose, you will be used up. Not washed up. Used up. Now, let's try and make some sense of my images this morning. And what does this have to do with our year of service and our walking humbly? What do a report card, a light, and a picture have in common? I've offered you these four principles of what it is to walk humbly, to look at Jesus' followers and see that their service was, we said, communal. We saw it in the first church, and then we've been here in Philippians looking at these first ones and how remarkable they were as they cared for each other. They saw themselves as a part of the larger body of people, the body of Christ, and then those that needed to be reached with that message. Then we spent a couple of weeks looking at how this walking humbly is uncomfortable. And Jesus prepared us for this, so we shouldn't be surprised. That's what the washing of the disciples' feet was all about. And then you heard from Scott, Pastor Scott, Reverend Scott, 
he's being called that now because he's going to Africa, um, and I just am kidding him all week long. I think it's a riot. Uh, everybody's calling him Pastor Scott and Reverend Scott now, so uh, see if we can make that stick. Uh, Mary did what she did no matter how uncomfortable it was, right? Genuine, obedient, undeterred, and faithful no matter how uncomfortable. So this walking humbly is communal. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> walking humbly is also measurable. What do these things have in common? Nothing unless you consider that they are all or represent what is measurable. The report card is measurable personally. The light is measurable, is measurably different. And the contents of the picture are measurably gone. See, the, the, the report card is, is measurably personal. This is about you. There is a day when you will stand before the Lord, and we're not talking about judgment. When you have understood salvation in its past sense. We're not and can't work our way to heaven. It's not possible. We enter into a relationship because of what he did for us that we did not deserve and we could not accomplish. But having embraced that and accepted it by faith, he works in and through us to accomplish what he wants and our obedience to that can be measured so that there comes a day when we're there and he's going to take what is wheat and chaff and straw and stubble and meaningless, and he's going to burn it away in what is a value in gold and silver and precious stone is going to remain, and it's going to be measurable, and you are going to have the opportunity to offer that as a wonderful gift to this God who gave you so much. And that's personal. Think of how wonderful that is. What can you give God? And yet he's giving you the opportunity to serve in such a personal, measurable way that someday you're going to have in your hands, literally or spiritually, whatever it is, this offering to him. You wouldn't want to be empty-handed, would you? I don't want to be. What we do for God should be personally measurable so that you have something to offer. He, purposed, he purchased your pardon for a purpose. The light is measurably different and you should stand out. And I'll never forget some wacko guy, he's a nice guy, in a convertible just being friendly. Why aren't we those kinds of people that people go home and tell stories about at the dinner table? because we're different in a good way. And hopefully we're doing it in such a way that they, they see why and we tell why. And then the contents of the picture are measurably gone. There is a pouring out, and we are to be doing that, offering it all, leaving nothing on the field. Remember that, you know... Give it all you've got. Paul got to the end of his life and was able to say, man, I'm done. How much are we pacing ourselves so that when we get there, we got a little bit left? 
what's the Lord going to say to us if he, he looks at you and goes, you could have done so much more. It's all right. I love you anyway. But don't you want to get there and be done? If you serve him on purpose, you're used up. Now, we don't know exactly when we're going to pass, and so we just continue to move ahead and, and do what we can, but I'd rather have you burn out than rust out. So that's why I'm not letting you forget about the dream wall and what's next. I trust you haven't forgotten. What is it he wants you to do as we fast forward, as we move out of that time of seeking what God would have us do? And you need to search this personally. It should be measurable personally. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be measurable collectively, but first you must consider what that means. And the passage is clear. The report card is measurable personally. The light is measurably different. The contents of the picture are measurably gone. How's it going? How are you doing it? Preparing for that test. What needs to improve? What needs to shine more? What is next that you need to take to the next level measurably? Are you improving? Are you standing out? Are you being used up or have you got something more to pour? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. And the example that you have left us in your Son and in so many of your faithful servants that we can study in Scripture is one of finishing completely, of doing well, of pouring out, of accomplishing all that you desire, of having something to offer you in the end for your honor and your glory, of being people here and now that make a difference that shows who you are. Would you help us with that? I pray for your spirit to be working in each heart and mind to be discovering what you want us individually to be doing. Oh, as a church, we want you to use us all and, and we're working to that end. But I pray today that you'd be working in hearts and minds to to be showing what you want the, us to be doing individually, personally, to take our, our service to you to another level, to make us people that are walking humbly in a way that is attractive, that makes a difference, that truly shows what true followers of Jesus Christ are. May we all finish with nothing left. But may we, in the meantime, be doing all we can for your honor, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.